Welcome, everybody, to Ramdas Here and Now. And I'm Raghu Marcus with another episode. And uh, I can't tell you how happy I am to introduce this particular episode. It is, though, I must warn everybody, fraught with all sorts of major contradictions. Actually, the essence that I see in my own life, the contradiction of how to act. And um, before, but before I get into it, I do want to uh, tell everybody that, and I think I did on the last podcast, reminding everyone about the spring retreat, the Maui spring retreat. Go, so we're encouraging everybody to spring over to Maui May 4th through 9th at the incredible exotic Not Marigold Hotel, Napili Kai Resort, with Ramdas, Lama Surya Das, who has never been before uh, teaching at uh, one of the, he was a guest in December. He came along to see what the scene was like. So this is his first time there. He is a teacher of Dzogchen, a Buddhist practice that you're going to find all out about that is an extraordinarily helpful practice to navigate day-to-day life. And he does these marvelous sharings with uh, Ramdas as well. In fact, if you go to Ramdas, if you go to Facebook and you look up the Ramdas Love Serve Remember page, I think we just put up this little excerpt from something that uh, Lama Surya Das and Ramdas did uh, oh, no, no, a year ago or so back at Ramdas's house. It gives you a flavor of what to expect. Unique, unique Lama. And he was with us with Maharaji back in the day. And then we have Mirabai Bush, who's going to be participating with her very unique and very compassionate and loving style. She really manages to get people connected in a way that's, uh, as I said, highly unique. And for uh, Kirtan, Nina from Krishnadas's band, Krishnadas won't be there this time. Uh, he's on sabbatical. And so she is coming along with the amazing, and she's going to be doing night, nightly kirtans, but also we have a very, very special guest, Trevor Hall, who's going to be coming along and uh, not only doing an evening concert, but also doing a, a, a special workshop I'm going to do with him, actually. And then we have Chantala Benji-Wertheimer, and uh, he is going to be doing music uh, with Saraswati Marcus, that very special being who happens to be my wife. And they're going to do uh, uh, this uh, wonderful uh, hour-and-a-half morning yoga thing, yoga and music. And Heather will be with Benji. She's part of Shantala. And last but not least is our good friend and my podcast guru, Duncan Trussell, who's going to join us for some uh, special sessions with both Ram Das and... Uh, 
and maybe Mirabai, we'll see. Oh, and I can't forget my one of my best friends in the whole world, Rameshwar Das, who co-writes Ram Das's uh, last couple of books, Polishing the Mirror and Be Love Now. And Ramesh does those wonderful meditations first thing in the morning. So it's a chalk filled with all sorts of activities. Just go to ramdas.org, look at the events tab on the menu and click it, and then you can read about it, and then just go from there to the registration page. So that's my... Uh, major announcement, although I will say that coming up also, is these these retreats provide so much wonderful teaching content, uh, and we have one uh, coming up from last spring called Cultivating the Courage to Love, and that is going to be available in, uh, oh, end of February, early March, and uh, that's with Roshi Halifax and uh, Ram Das and Krishna Das, so look out for that. And by the way, the spring retreat, the theme is impermanence and the power of love. Right? They're going to be pretty interesting. So uh, whoever can make it, we'd love to see you there. It is just a, uh, it's a real bath of uh, both love and wisdom. Ah. Uh. Now on to our podcast. So, one day, Ram Das went to see Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. We talk about him a lot here. We've had, uh, there's a couple of excellent podcasts from earlier podcast days with Ram Das that I presented, Ram Das talking about Trungpa, and then actually one with Ram Das and Trungpa, you can look up. And uh, in this one, he's just making a reference to a time that he went to see Trungpa, and he just sat down with him, and Trungpa said to him, out of the blue, Ramdas, we have to accept responsibility. And Ramdas said, Rinpoche, God has all the responsibility. And Rinpoche said, Ramdas, you're copping out. So this is the essence of that. That's why I said in the very beginning, it's uh, the nature of this talk. At times, it's actually difficult to, to really get the concept. And that's because I think that, and, and this is, a, you know, basically we go back here to uh, free will and pre, predetermination. And we talk about that a lot, uh, all of us, probably, and anybody who's on the path or just trying to, you know, get a grip about what it is that, uh, how do we guide our lives? Are we guiding our lives or are our lives completely guided? And there's, uh, uh, there's so many contradictions and contradictions uh, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. So, uh, what happens here is Ramdas talks about. Uh, so, understand. We understand, and we experience as a separate entity, making choices. We understand the way these choices come. 
They're through past experiences, day-to-day actions, reactions, and so on and so forth. And you experience everything as a free choice, but in some way, it's part of a determined law. All forms function within that law of the universe, including thoughts and everything. So when Trungpa says, accept responsibility, and Ramdas says, God has all the responsibility, I don't have any. I'm just a predetermined being living within the law. God does it all. Trungpa says, then, you're copying out. So this is something that... And we've, we've actually talked about this before and talked about it along the lines of karma and grace. And tangentially, this is part of that conversation as far as I'm concerned. And um, there is a, in, in my mind, a fine line of balance between these two things. And how many times I myself recoil when I go through thoughts of, well, it's, the universe is going to take care of this. God does it all. All those kinds of thoughts. And I think to myself, what kind of new agey crap are you coming up with? You got There is an action to take. Or then I get, wow, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to, I'll be doing, uh, if it's around spiritual life, I'll be sitting, I'll get myself to 45 minutes instead of the 30 or an hour. And I'm going to do that. And then, you know, I'm getting into just the opposite side of God will do it all. I'll do it all. So, it, as you can see, it, it, the fine line here between balancing these two things. Ramdas says, you have, and here's his explanation of it, and, and it gets really uh, deep. You have a choice of identifying with your creation or as you, as creator, that created that creation. Okay? So there's you as a body, personality, social, psychological entity. That is the creation. Behind that is that which creates that creative spark, and he talks in this talk about, let's, let's describe God as the, create, the creative energy of the universe. That we are a spark of that creative energy of the universe. That is the God in everyone. So that is the creative part that's responsible. And that's what he's equating with what Trumpa is saying. Accept the fact that you are part of the one and that you are, in fact, creating your universe. So there will be much more uh, responsibility taken for actions. And I, I believe that's what Ramdas is, is interpreting what Trumpa means when he says, Ramdas? take responsibility. And um, I won't go any further than this. Uh, certainly, everyone can get their own idea of what Ram Dass is 
trying to say here in teaching. But I will say, I, I think it's about balance. And there's a place, the, that place that's behind it all, that we can call so many different names, soul, um, pure mind, the Buddhists might call it, pure nature, true nature, whatever spirit, whatever it is, that we recognize that identifying with that is a, a major purpose of our lives. And once we identify with that in even the tiniest way, then we understand that whatever that we do take responsibility and we do take actions that we need to be responsible for. And, but we still do it with the knowledge that there's another place that we are coming for, from that is completely aligned within the laws of the universe, which include the unfolding of our transformation. That's, uh, that's the clearest that I've been able to elucidate that to myself. And uh, that balance is very, very, very difficult. Um, so here it is. I don't even know what we're going to call this. Responsibility? Or are you copying out? Take responsibility or are you copying out? <laughs> I don't know. Anyhow, thanks for listening and thanks for supporting ramdas.org, Love Serve Remember. Please do go to the website and take a look at the retreat in the spring and see if it's something uh, for you, which... I do believe you, anybody who can make it there will highly uh, enjoy and take something home of real value. Take a look at that. Look for the Cultivating the Courage to Love. And uh, by the way, in that Cultivating the Courage to Love, and when we talk about Maharaji basically said the same thing as Trungpa in a completely uh, different way. When he told Krishnadas, courage is very important, which completely indicates that there is something to do, even though we have the knowledge that it is all coming from the one. Obviously, Maharaji is saying to cultivate courage. Why? It's an essential ingredient to be able to move forward and cut habitual tendencies and develop compassion and kindness and so on. Courage. So that's something to think about. And certainly when you see the Cultivating the Courage to Love um, retreat, it's going to be a bundle, by the way, of nine sessions. It's going to be pretty amazing. So there you go. Thank you again, everybody, for the support. And we will see you next week or two. God knows what. We're, we're certainly... Um, we're regular about these podcasts. They just aren't every week, right? Uh, but until then, this is Raghu Marcus for Ramdas here and now. I was with this... Uh Tibetan Lama Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who's I'm sure many of you know of as a, a rascal on the spiritual scene. 
one of the many. And uh, I had just met him once before in Brooklyn when I went to hear him at a lecture and he arrived drunk a few hours late. And only those of us that really wanted the teachings hung in. Everybody else said, somebody can't show up on time, I'm just not going to stay here. Which is, it's interesting, all the models we have about how you get teachings. But at any rate, um, I, he was pretty impressive, because drunk as he was, he was like clear as uh, just a deep pool. So I went by Vermont, where he was giving a weekend on Don Juan. And I was sitting out in the yard with some friends, um, because I was just going to listen to the lecture and go on to Canada. And uh, somebody came out and said, Trungpa wants to see you. Fine. I went in and came into the room, and there was only, walked in this room, and there was one chair, which he was sitting in, and a table with a sake bottle on it and one glass, which he was drinking on it. And that was it. And so I knelt on the floor in front of him. He looked down at me, and his first line was, Ramdas, we have to accept responsibility. It's a great opener, you know. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, what do you mean? I said, I don't have any responsibility. God has all the responsibility. And he says, you're copping out. And then we went on and talked about other things. And that was just that message. That's what's known as a teaching. It's a little transmission, and you can do with it as you want. You can say, oh, what a sugar in a business. I'm not going to ignore that. Or you can let it sort of work on you. And I didn't really understand it because I was busy with the not my but thy will, O oh Lord, okay? which I think you're familiar with. Now... I see that this is a complicated business to get in and out of here. <laughs> um, who was saying what? See, you have the experience um, as a separate entity that you chose to come here today. You chose what to eat for lunch probably and you chose to come back after lunch and you're choosing to sit the way you're sitting and all of these choices you're making and so if I said you are responsible you have free will that's the level at which you experience it most of the time I have free will to choose whether I'm going to come go hear the Rolling Stones or learn how to roll without gathering moss which is what we're doing <laughs> Um, and these are choices that you and I experience making. However, we are not naive, most of us, and we understand that the way these choices come is not out of the void immediately. They are the result of our past experiences, they're a result of everything we've studied, they're a result of our backgrounds, our culture, and uh, the way you think thoughts, you've learned how to think them, and the associations you have with Ramdas and a book you've read, or somebody said something, or you want credit for something, or whatever it is, it's all part of a sequence that's quite lawful, actually. And in that sense, your choice didn't come 
just whimsically, it came out of an evolving lawful situation. So even though you experience it as a free choice, in some level it is a determined thing. It's within law. Okay, can you hear that part of it? So that you're living both free, you're experiencing freedom at one level, and at another level you see that it is all, all forms function within law, including your own thoughts, which are just more forms. And thought works within law. So, when he says to me, you have to accept responsibility, which is number, I'm hearing it here, saying, what do you mean? God has all the responsibility, I have none. Because I'm saying, I'm just a determined being, I'm just a part of the law. And he's saying, you're copping out. Now, what, are, what is that conversation really talking about? As I now understand it, and now I've got to just give you one little more uh, sort of uh, theoretical playthrough here. Now imagine, let's go back to the one first going into the two. Let us just imagine that what the nature of that one is, which we will call God, or consciousness, we could call it love, we could call it truth, we could call it pure energy, we could call it creativity. Let's just assume that the one is merely creativity. It's just creativity. It is, by its very nature, it is creative. Everything it does is creative. It doesn't do creative things, it's just creative. It can't help it. It's it. And that every one of us is a spark of that. We are creative. We are a creative spark. We're part of the totality of creativity. Now, I'm just playing, okay, Psychosisville again, okay? Just a spark of creativity. Now, here's where it gets really tricky. How does God create? Well, Meher Baba said an interesting thing. He said, God creates the many in order to go away from itself, in order to come back to itself, in order to see itself. Because the quality of the one is, is that it doesn't experience the two. So the one creates the two in order to come back to be able to look and see itself as other, if you will, and to appreciate itself. That's part of its totality, that it includes the two within the one. My, are you with me? Or is it getting too dense? Okay. Now, um, so all of this, let's imagine now, just like the big boom theory, that there is this one thing which is creativity. All components are creativity and it splits in, it's made up simultaneously of many, many little sparks of creativity which are called souls, essence, awarenesses, whatever you want to call them. Some of these creativity move within the domain of the one like the Adam and Eve when they're in the Garden of Eden. That is, they're part of the totality and their creativity is within that realm. 
And part of these creative sparks move by pushing against the one and going what we call away from the light is one way of saying it, going towards darkness. That is eating the apple. So now we take away all the value judgments about bad and good. We merely see that one way that creativity can go is away from the light, and one way that creativity can go is to stay within the light. And that those of us that chose to go away from the light as our vehicle of being creative, that is, we are creating, it's like if the source of the light is coming from there, as long as I face the light, I am in one reality. When I turn, I am now in my shadow because the light's behind me and I am in what's called Plato's cave, those of you that are familiar with that metaphor. And the reality I'm seeing now are the shadows on the wall that are created by the fact that the light is behind me instead of directly in front of me. And these are just two different creative paths. To dance so you're with me. Now, um, that creativity moves to explore God as darkness or those aspects of God that are away from light. And your body and your forms and all of us are all part of what would be called denial of light. That is turning away from the light. It's not the absence of light, it's merely that we have chosen to turn away from light. And it's not even bad, it's just what we are doing. And what awakening is, is turning back towards the light again. And this is merely a cycle of creativity from that point of view. So, now as we go through our incarnations, we come to a place where we have done a certain amount of stuff and there is more stuff to explore and at a certain point we say well then I will take this kind of an incarnation in order to explore these particular things now if you can stand in that place in yourself you are now standing at another part of you that is responsible that is and the way to say this is Look at the earth and look at a human incarnation as a classroom and a curriculum, but for whom? Not for your personality, but for your soul, or for that essence being, or for that creative spark. So in effect, you are creating the reality in which you now find yourself. That you are the creator of you the effect heavy duty watch what I'm saying is that it's like I am you are your own grandpa it's it's the point is that you have a choice of identifying with your creation or with you as the creator which created that creation you as a personality, you as a body, you as a social psychological entity, that is all the creation. Behind it, back in, is that which creates the creative spark that is in everyone, that is the God in everyone. That is the creative part that's responsible. And when Trump is saying to me, accept your responsibility, he's saying, accept the fact that you are part of the one and that you are in fact creating your universe. 
Now, you can take any experience in life that you've had, and you will notice that you look at it one way, and it turns into some hell realm. You look at it another way, and it shifts around. It's um, that lovely story that I've told so many times about the samurai that comes to the Zen monk, and he says, uh, Monk, is arrogant samurai way, teach me about heaven and hell. And the monk looks up at him and he says, teach you about heaven and hell? You? You big stupid oaf. I'm to teach you about heaven and hell? You look, you, what do you think you are, a samurai? Your blade is rusty, you smell, you're disgusting. Who would want you? Who would ever hire you? What a lousy samurai you must be. And nobody talks to a samurai that way. And the samurai is getting more and more furious, more and more angry, and he gets so angry, the, the muscles are, the blood is pulsing in his neck, and he gets furious, and he rips his sword out of his sheath, and he's about to kill the monk. And the monk says, that's hell. And the samurai realizes that the monk has practically put his life on the line to transmit this teaching, and he feels the compassion and love of the monk. And he sheathes his sword, and he bows to the monk out of just appreciation of that teaching. And the monk says, and that's heaven. Now, it's a way, watch how the monk did it with the samurai's mind. He just played with it. And suddenly the monk was living in hell, and then a moment later the monk was living in heaven. The samurai was living in hell, and then a moment later he was living in heaven. And in a way, you can look at the way in which your mind keeps creating reality after reality after reality. A few weeks ago, I was in um, Connecticut, and I got a letter from somebody saying, um, there's a fellow who's a Gestalt therapist, he's in his early 30s, and uh, he has uh, been in a moped accident, and he uh, lost one leg below the knee, so he's got a, a uh, substitute prosthesis, prosthetic device. And uh, the other foot is very badly twisted around, and maybe they can work on it and get a special shoe, and he may walk again. And he's been in traction for three months, and he's very depressed. And would you see him? So I was passing through the area, so I called up. I said, can I come and see you? Sure. So, And that he had been to one or two of my lectures. So I came by, and... Um, it was kind of a back, he had been moved back from the hospital to his cabin out sort of in the woods, and I came down a, a little dirt road, and there were some people pushing a wheelchair, four or five people, and it looked like an older person in the wheelchair, and then I realized it was this fellow, that it was just, I was seeing his back and the way he was huddled down. So I said hello, he was with his wife and his brother and his sister-in-law, 
And we all got him into the house, and there was a ramp now for the wheelchair and got him in. And they'd just been home a couple of days, so they were reorganizing the house for him and stuff like that. And there was deep depression everywhere. And I had a chance while they were getting organized, and I got a chair over to sit next to him and all, to just sort of open to the situation. Now, um, what I experienced at that moment is two things. First, I experienced my human heart and my empathy. And I experienced how heavy this is for him because of the models he had of who he was. And now he's not going to be able to do those things. He's not going to run and jump and play and do all the things he could do before. And I realize how hard that is, and there's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering in there. And the frustration of it all, and the feeling of a moped accident, I mean, so, feel seemingly unnecessary, and so the guilt and all of that stuff, and I could just feel the waves of it in my being. But then there's another part of me that is sort of maybe up in here, that merely looks at a human incarnation as the choice of an individual to go through a certain series of experiences in order to grow through those experiences. So now when I look at him from this place, I see this soul who has chosen this particular sequence of events in order for him to grow. And from that point of view, I am merely seeing the perfection of the universe unfolding. Now, what's happening is, at the same moment, I'm experiencing both of those things. The horror, my humanity is feeling the horror. There's another part of me that's just seeing the whole thing as a as an unfolding of a set of experiences for this being to go through. When I tune in on him, I experience that he is only in his human heart, that he's not in this other space at all. So my job at that point is to act in such a way as to realign him so that we can get that balance back, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, when you're teaching, there was a, Jack Kornfield wrote a book about uh, masters that he had studied with in uh, Theravadan Buddhism, and he describes one master who seemed to give different teachings to everybody, and he couldn't understand it, and he went and he accused him of being inconsistent. And the master said, there's nothing to it. He said, you walking down the road, you see somebody going off into the ditch on the left, he yelled, go right, go right. If you see somebody going off in the ditch on the right, you say, go left, go left. He says, that's all there is to it, you see. So what you experience is that when somebody, like you meet people who are very cold in there, well, it's just how the karma puck skids, you know? I mean, it's like they look at the most incredible human suffering and there's no heart, there's no feeling. And your job is to open the human part of them. What happened to your humanity? And for somebody that's just lost in their humanity, your job is to bring the balance because the, co the compassion is the balancing of those two things. 
Compassion is the ability to be, keep your heart open to the incredible amount of suffering that is all about you all the time, everywhere you look. And at the same moment, to keep tuned to the perfection of the way law unfolds, the perfection of God. If you get lost in one or the other, you lost it. It's this very delicate balancing act. So my first, I sit down and I look him in the eye, and he looks at me and I said, hello. I said, well, looks like you're going to have to redefine who you are. Pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah. So it's good you're a Gestalt therapist. I mean, you could have been a ballet dancer. You know, it's like, you know. And I'm looking at him and I'm feeling, I'm feeling, now the reason I can be this flip is because I love him so much. And that's the part of the key of it, that only can you afford that kind of cuteness when your heart is open enough. Because I've been cute with my heart closed and I realize how ghastly that is. I mean, I sometimes walk into a room where somebody's dying and because they've asked me to come and I know that they would like to awaken through their dying, we'll talk about that later. I'll say, oh, excuse, they'll be with their family. I'll say, I'll come back later. I see you're busy dying, which sounds really callous until you can understand it from another point of view. And we'll talk about that after a while. But at any rate, what, after about two or three minutes, he started to sob. And he really, really wailed. And immediately, his wife and his brother and sister were there. What have you, sort of, what have you done to him? I mean, this was within two or three minutes. And he sort of held them back, and then he said, this is the first time I could cry because everybody needed me to be so strong. Okay? Because none of them could handle, they were so busy with their empathy for the predicament and their feeling sorry for him that he had to be the one that was strong. And he said, when I feel you, I don't feel that you need me to be strong. Because that's the balancing act, the other part of it. The part that loves God and accepts the play of God, even though it involves suffering. See, I have to face the fact that, because uh, I work with dying people, that over time it has become obvious to me that suffering is one of the extraordinary vehicles for spiritual awakening. And I wouldn't lay it on anybody, but when I just look at the way life is, I just see incredible awakening through suffering. And I said to him, you know, I said, this is sure a heavy-duty way, but you're going to learn a hell of a lot of compassion this way, and you're probably going to end up being finally a good, good therapist instead of just another Gestalt therapist. And he heard that. And we were together maybe 30, 40 minutes. And I called him a week later. I said, how are you doing? He says, well, I'm back. I've had six patients. And he says, it's incredible. He says, I'm just feeling it from a whole new place. And he just started to take off from that point. And then, of course, gets stuck back in. He says, and my friends are going to take me horseback riding next week. See, that's the part of him that's still holding on to being somebody who doesn't have the situation he has now. 
the denial part, because he's human. And you've got to hear, now what happens is that what is first a sequence, here I am busy being me, then you awaken, you realize you aren't who you thought you were, you get high. Oh, wow, I'm not who I thought I was. Oh, it's all one. You're my brother. You're my sister. Oh, I love you. You love me. Oh, it's all God. Oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. See? And then whatever it is wears off. And you say, we're all one, but that's my hi-fi set. See? See, and you go up, and then you come back, and then you go up, and you come back. And it's like a yo-yo effect for a long time. You're going into the spirit. Sundays you go, and you dance, and you sing, and you're in the spirit. And then Monday you're back, you know, in the marketplace with them. But in the moment of the spirit, it's all us. And then it's them, and then it's us, and then it's them, and then it's us, and then it's them. And we all go through this on and on and on and on, back and forth and back and forth. And we keep wanting to get high. And at first, the whole thing is sequential. And then as time goes on, we realize what the game is of what we are learning in the incarnation. And we realize that we're going to have to go beyond high and low, beyond every single polarity, until we just are, which includes high and low. And that is we will be living in the space where we are all one and where we are separate. Where it is all perfect and it all stinks. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to learn to live where we are divine and we are human. We're going to live with the paradoxes. The paradoxes in which the opposites exist simultaneously. And this is a process that we go from sequential to finally it is happening simultaneously. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.